Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, discussing all things audiobooks with the authors that write the stories and the narrators that perform them. Brought to you by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast. My guest today is narrator Zachary Johnson. Welcome, Zachary, to the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. I've heard such wonderful things. I was so excited to be able to <laughs> chat with you for the first time. So I was like, oh, nervous and <laughs> and excited. It's like, okay, okay. So before Makes we- two of us. <laughs> I'm just a girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a guy that talks to himself in a closet for money, really, if you think about it, so- I would be one of those, like, explain your jobs in a really bad way. <laughs> exactly. That's, and that's what I like to do, because I, I, like, I like the weird reaction people get before I explain to them that my job is actually cool. Nice. <laughs> Speaking of the job, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started and how long you've been narrating? Uh, so I've been, I would say I, I only really started considering myself an in-earnest professional narrator uh, within about the last two years or so, because that's when I really started taking it seriously as a job and a business and a, and a craft. I, I've been, I dabbled in it for about four years beforehand and gradually kind of learned through trial and error, mostly error, how to do it. Um, and so I started with, you know, some small projects and I gradually learned a, bit, a little bit about audio. Um, I think I started, I want to say it was 2015. So in total, I've been doing this in some form for six years, but I would say I really only kind of came into my own for about two in terms of how I fell into it. Basically some, some author mentioned ACX to me at a convention. I was like, wait, really? That's just a thing you can do. And then I went <laughs> home and I, um, I called up uh, a family friend of ours who was in audio, uh, who did audio production for a long time. He gave me a recommendation for a budget setup. So I got that. Um, and then gradually learned audacity and eventually reaper which remains my software of choice and kind of just went from there uh and then like i and then i finally signed up with a good coach uh sean pratt who uh basically he turned my whole perception of how audiobooks work upside down which is a good thing because it was upside down to begin with so uh now it's right side up nice <laughs> and now here i am Perfect. Yeah, I've heard Sean is a good coach. He's, he's fantastic. Like, yeah. Love, he's a just nice a guy. lovely guy, too. Just very easy to work with. And you get the feeling that he really wants you to do well. He's not just, yeah, he's not just there to be there. He really, really wants you to do well. That's important because it's a lot of time and effort and, and money goes into this gig. A lot of people think it's just, well, people say I sound sexier, that I sound good. I'm like, yeah, I know there's a lot more to it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. No, people... People told me I had a nice voice for a long time and I fell for the that very that very preconception of, oh, I sound good. This will be it. No, it won't be easy. No, <laughs> there's so much more you have to invest than just that. And it, it's uh, but you do have a good voice, by the way. I think if you wanted to do it, you totally could. Oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I have this thing, you know, I have this thing where I'm like reading out loud has always been like not a good thing for me. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's one of those where like, yeah, you wouldn't expect that to be a skill set, would you, until you actually start trying to do it and you realize, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that if um, from a prep perspective, I would probably be the girl that does the color coding at first and everything. How do you go about prepping your books when you get them? 
Sure. So um, the most important thing for me, and it's where 95% of my prep effort goes, is just the character voices. Um, I, I give, obviously, you have to know the plot, or at least you have to have an idea of the, the story through line, like where it's going and things like that. But pretty much all of my effort, because I primarily do fiction, goes towards getting the voices right and making sure I can stay in those personas every time they come up, which will often involve compiling a whole demo reel of voices. And depending on who you're working with, the author may or may not see that. Um, if you're working on an indie production and you work closely with the author, I really love doing that because then we can go back and forth and they can act like a director for me because I'm a, I'm a math guy. So I very much like to know that I have things right before I start actually trying to execute. Um, with, a, with a publisher or a production house, sometimes it's a little less involved than that. And because ultimately they trust you to just do the job and that's part of it. So I always have that with me. And that's pretty much the entirety of my prep is I just go through and I really study what each of the characters are like. And then I kind of just let that inform how I narrate the story. Um, because what's interesting is I often find the narrator kind of becomes a character in itself when I do the character prep really well, because most fiction is done in third person close. So it's almost like you're this hyper empathetic person that's telling the story, but you're feeling everything the character is feeling, even though you're not reading it as them. So yeah, my prep, long story, the TLDR is my prep is pretty much all character work. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of characters in some of these stories and books, so especially when it comes down to romance, there'll be those mm -hmm. where it's a side character that just popped in for one scene and it was being goofy. And then all of a sudden they're yep. the hero in book seven. Exactly. <laughs> That's actually a question I've learned to ask authors is, okay, is there anybody that shows up like once here that shows up way down the line that I, I need to know about? Because I don't want to give them a voice that sounds like this. And then suddenly they're half the book. It's like, that's funny once. But if you're doing a whole voice like that through the whole book, unless it's like a Dr. Seuss thing, oh, it's, it's going to get old fast. Yeah. And tiring also for your vocals. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like if you go really deep and gravelly and um, uh, brooding, mm -hmm. that's cool. But if that character talks a lot, you're going to hate it by the end. That is true. Yeah. And we like our romance heroes brooding. and. Of course deep. we do. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I prefer. That's why I like third person narration is I don't have to do that as much. Yeah, but true. I do. I do enjoy those types of voices, but that you feel them after a while. Do you do anything to warm up your voice or any kind of routine before you get into the booth and start, you know, hit record? Sure. So um, I always hydrate. I keep like six liters of water on me. I have three different hydro flasks and I'll usually down one of them before I even start. Because I found that that's the single most important thing is just keep the keep the vocal cords hydrated. And then I also will literally warm them up by drinking throat coat tea, which 90% of narrators will swear by. Mm -hmm. I see it mentioned everywhere in forums. Uh, Scott Brick uses it too, so yeah. obviously. And then I'll sometimes do tongue twisters if I'm having a particularly hard time articulating certain sentences. Uh, but that's that's fairly rare. It's mostly just hydration and drinking tea and if i ever do decide to caffeinate i make doubly sure to hydrate because that actually dries out your larynx which can make it harder to go for long periods of time mm -hmm. so just drink a lot of water <laughs>
Yeah. yeah, I have my water here. It's one of those things where when I started doing this, I would sometimes have coffee right before talking to you yep. guys just to kind of wake up. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, why is my voice so dry? <laughs> yeah, it was. I didn't know that for a long time until a mm-hmm. friend that was a vocal coach said, really, you're doing that and you're not hydrating after? I was like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, and Andy Arndt gave me the tea. We were at a convention and she was, you know, there was always a lot of talking when you go to these things. Of course. And I asked her and I said, well, how, what do you do besides obviously the stuff that you do, you might do for the recording, but even for things like this, my throat is tired and dry. And she's like, oh, there's this tea. And ever since then, I, I have at least one box of it in the house. So mm-hmm. when I have to chat with you guys or take it to go and we go back to going to places (laughs) i found a killer combo by the way because i make it with two bags i do one of throat code and one of breathe easy so yeah so try that yeah it's it really it's really really nice it's a great way to start yeah usually um i mean i grew up drinking tea and and Mm -hmm. also coffee but it was one of those like in the evening was a cup of a cup of tea so it's um but usually it's still coffee here (laughs) (laughs) Which is never a good thing, especially when you add milk to it or, or you know, half and half. And oh, God. Yeah, I've uh, I've gotten it. <laughs> I've gotten real good at non-dairy alternatives <laughs> for that very reason. Yes. Or at least right before you're recording at the very least. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that listeners love, aside from a great story, of course, and the performance of the narratives that they give are when these characters have accents. Mm-hmm. We are suckers for accents. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite to perform? Favorite accent to perform? That's a yeah. good question. I would say um, British received pronunciation has a special place in my heart because it was the first one I ever learned to do. So if I get the opportunity to use it, which is why I love narrating fantasy, because that just fits, uh, I will almost always have at least one character that has an RP accent. Uh, I love doing Scotsman. Because I just, it, for whatever reason, the the way they say R's just feels kind of cool. <laughs> um, Russian is a lot of fun. One that I recently actually got pretty good at because a whole book had a culture that was Germanic. And he said he wanted them to have that accent was I got good at a German accent. And I found that's quite a lot of fun to do for extended periods of time. I don't know. Uh, I've never done it as a romantic lead, but I've done it many times as a uh, as a fantasy character and it's come in very handy um so that i would say (laughs) german is the one i'm proudest of because it took me a long time to get at least a bit right um but british is the one i'm probably fondest of because like i said it's my first one i ever learned to do and if there is an accent that basically everybody is a sucker for it's that one yeah (laughs) i have a thing for that one but There he goes. Damn it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I will actually actually slip into accents uh, unintentionally sometimes. You know, I was going to ask you that in, in the in the sense of when you're doing the book and you're having to deal with the accents, and then you're done recording for the day. Do you pop out of the uh, of the booth and just we need to have a conversation? Is it in the accents or is it just in general? Sometimes you'll pop in and start having an accent. Um. Sometimes. I'll just start, especially if I'm talking to somebody that's a native speaker of that accent, I'll just do it by mistake. Uh, Because once you're, if you're kind of at least a little bit immersed in that, I found that it's very, uh, very easy to accidentally start mimicking the pronunciations. And part of it is just because accents fascinate me and hearing somebody that does it authentically is cool to me because then I can think like, oh, what am I getting wrong? But then uh, it'll turn from me like in my head trying to articulate the sound to me accidentally doing it while I'm talking to them. 
thankfully that doesn't happen often, but, uh, I have, it's, it's, it's funny that, um, that seems to run in my family. Cause I have an aunt that's very good with accents and she's not an actor. She just kind of naturally can pick them up. Uh, and she'll do the same thing. Like she was at a wedding in New York and she kept accidentally saying things with New Yorker inflections. Oh, and wow. it was, it was really, it made for quite a few awkward moments. <laughs> Most of the time it's on purpose when yeah. I do it. Um, mm-hmm. but occasionally, even if it's on purpose, I'll get stuck. It can be easy to do as far as picking up. I am one of those individuals too, that I'll pick it up. I still mm-hmm. say ka. It's been almost like 20 years since the last time I went to Boston <laughs> and, for, and and I got stuck with it, but that's the one word that it always comes out in. And when I visit family in Texas, I have to watch out or if I'm hanging out with them, like we did a week in one of the beaches here in Florida, um, early June, and they have a bit of a Southern accent. That's a little twang. Mm-hmm. Because yep. they were all born in Texas, in, in Connecticut, and but moved to Texas, so it's just a, a slight little thing, and yep. and I'm going, oh, I'm going to leave here, going y'all, and I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> well, I have to say, I'm impressed that uh, you are able to pick up a Boston accent because that's one I've never been able to do. I still I, have not gotten it right. It's still, yeah. it's only on certain words. It's almost like that. Um, that mimic or that little riddle that you had to do, like a, a going to the harbor, Boston Yard, you know, yes. those little specific words, uh, keeping it for a while. No, I would have to be there. Gee, darn, if I ever need to have that assignment again to go to Boston <laughs> and hang out. Product knowledge. There we go. <laughs> yes. You know what my problem is with the Boston accent is mm-hmm. I will accidentally become Australian ah. because the R's, the R's are so similar that it's very easy for me to accidentally start doing this because I use R's as what's called a key phrase to get into the accent. Mm-hmm. So if I if I start saying park the car in Harvard Yard, then suddenly my voice just wants to do this. Oh, like I'm not even I didn't even do that on purpose. It just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you so it's like effortlessly for you to just pop in there and pop in an accent. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Key phrases are a beautiful thing. I use them uh, copiously. It's uh, I've yeah. You guys have said sometimes that it depends on specific words for you, or sometimes mm-hmm. it's in general. It's just fascinating when it comes down to what we pick up. <laughs> yeah, it really it really is. There's there's a lot like accent uh, accent artists um, really really impress me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're fun. So I know you mentioned the Boston being one that's difficult that you haven't mm-hmm. picked up yet. But is there one that you've like? What's been like the hardest uh, that you've had to like really focus on? French, French, for sure. Which is funny because French was the language I studied in high school and a language my grandmother tried to teach me. So I can speak what I remember of it uh, fine. Like my accent when I speak actual French is okay. But when I try to speak it in English, for whatever reason, it's there, it's listenable, but it never feels quite right. Like eventually with, for example, the German accent, even though it felt a little stilted at times, I felt natural talking in it after a while. French, I've never been able to quite get there. And I think part of it is um, because I do accidentally become German sometimes when I speak French, because weirdly, the, the R's, especially if you do what's called the uvular trill, which is the huh thing, where they say there are R's like that, Germans do that too. So... And since I'm better at the German accent, it's easier. Like my brain will just want to go there rather than do the French one. But I've tried to do the other thing where what will happen is certain native French speakers, when they learn not to do the uvular trill in English, they'll overcompensate and really round their R's like that. And even then, 
it's just, I don't know. I've just never been able to get it to feel natural. I haven't had complaints about it. None of my reviews have gone, good Lord, this man's French was atrocious, but I've just been, I've all, it's the one I'm the most self-conscious about. Yeah. Well, I think that we've always said that accents are something that we think we know what they sound like mm-hmm. because of things that we watched on TV for those that are not born there. Because when you're born in, Fran- in France, you don't hear an accent. You nope. know, so until someone tells you that there's an accent. Um, and so we don't know any better until we're told. And so we think that this is what it sounds like. So even if it just has a little bit of a hint to it, we're fine with it. I think it's when it's overly done and you're trying too hard and we're going, no, honey, don't. Yep. (laughs) Well, it always cracks me up when people try to say stuff like people from Southern California, where I'm from, especially seem to think that they don't have an accent. It's like, yeah, you do. (laughs) It's it's the same. It's the same as anybody else. Like I, I remember a story that stuck with me that finally convinced me that I did because I had the same mentality for longer than I care to admit. Was my dad when he was in college had an Israeli classmate, and he said, "It's your accent to him. To him, our accents sounded flat, kind of like we were droning all the time because we didn't have a lot of. Like, it was it was weird to think about. Yeah, no, I've been told the same thing. Like Viv, you have an accent. I go, I do. <laughs> okay um and they're like you're from the south i go well i'm from florida we're in the south but no <laughs> <laughs> they, they never they never count us as the south except for when you get to the tar- you know closer to the panhandle like yeah. right above orlando that's when you yes. start you really start having some of that southern twang in there yes and things yeah, because like you're right up near a lot of regions that are known for having. It. Yes, you have, you yeah. know, all those places there. And I'm going, no, born and raised in Miami. So I know I haven't. I'm sure I have one, but I don't hear it. But there it is. You, you're touching on something that's a very intimidating prospect for me, which I haven't encountered in my career yet. But you have you live right on the border. So imagine that your accent is a combination of Georgia, South Carolina and Florida panhandle. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I can I I can try. Yeah, just call me. <laughs> yeah, but thankfully I've not had that happen yet. I, I anticipate many visits to an accent coach when that day finally comes. Well, I mean, it's just one of those things where practice and, and hearing mm-hmm. people, thank goodness we have YouTube nowadays where we can. Oh my gosh, yeah. Which, you know, I can only imagine how this was like before all that was able to have access to it. But, mm. it's, but still. when all you had was a tech, when all you had was a textbook and you're like, OK, I don't know what rounded R's and uvular trills are, but apparently I'm supposed to do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going, yeah. what's this little dash above the letter? Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, totally. I know that. Yeah, sure. I'll emphasize that letter instead. It's the same yeah, thing like this, with Spanish. This letter has to sound like it's got an apostrophe over it for some reason, whatever that is. Yeah, I know. It's a people are like, but you speak Spanish. I go, no, I, I speak Spanish from like conversational even mm-hmm. though it's my background yeah we were raised english outside spanish inside okay. yeah and so very americanized and when it comes down to like reading it i read like a five-year-old with each set sounding each syllable out even to this day <laughs> oh yeah well i mean it's interesting that you mentioned that because when you think of it that really is that would mean you spent the majority of your time speaking english like we don't yeah. when we're even when we're that age we don't spend the majority of our time at home no we don't no yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was always fun, too, because with my, you know, even to this day, sometimes the brain and I'm sure maybe it happens to you too a little bit with the French. If there's a specific word, mm-hmm. there's something there that it's you're talking and you stop in mid sentence because the word is in your you see it, you hear it in yep. your head, but you can't say it because it's the other language that's coming through. 
Yep. So it's like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> the thing <laughs> where that stops you from going. The yes, the fence. Yes, the fence. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done a lot of different genres. You're saying you fiction, you've done sci-fi, and there's also romance mm-hmm. that you've done. Is, yes. And romance, I've always described it as a, a it being an umbrella term with a bunch of subgenres underneath it. Of course, where yeah. You, you get paranormal and you get the fantasy and all the contemporaries and stuff like that. Is there one subgenre that you love to perform or like to perform in? Of romance? Yeah. Oh, um, I really, I mean, of course, I'm a fantasy sci-fi geek. So, mm-hmm. for example, the Corthan Legacy by Stacey Bennett, I adore because it's fantasy romance. But I've actually really, especially since I started narrating it a lot, kind of taken a shine to contemporary. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that I was going to be um, as fond of it as I am. But it's it's partially, one, it's amazing what consistently landing work in a genre will do for your opinion of it. And be like, okay. Um, <laughs> but the other is, I, I don't know. I just never really because I'd never really worked in it, I didn't really understand what the feel of it was, but I've actually grown to really enjoy it. I just finished um, kind of this rom-com that took place in New Orleans and where it was this couple that have been friends for something like 20 years, just suddenly get married on the spot after the uh, the woman has a bad breakup. And then the the guy has to spend the whole rest of the um, the book figuring out, oh, wait, I've only ever been the shoulder to cry on. I have to be married now. And it was just really funny to me. So contemporary, I think, actually might be my favorite romance genre. I love all the others. But like I said, I've kind of taken a shine to that lately. Mm-hmm. And in general, is there a genre that you really like? I know you mentioned sci-fi being one of your mm-hmm. things. But is that the where you, if you had to pick one genre to narrate for the rest of your life? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, my gosh. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um, I might say that I would do. I would do cyberpunk because for whatever reason, the aesthetics of the world, the I just the aesthetics of it I've, is, are something I've always been drawn to. And there's all sorts of stuff you can do that's really that's really interesting because cyberpunk romance is totally a thing, but yes. you can add things like lit RPG elements to it. It can get pretty fantastical if you really want it to, because typically when you're doing those kinds of stories, you're dealing with something like cybernetic augmentation, which basically is author code for, we can make you do whatever we need you to be able to do for plot reasons because robots, because you're part <laughs> robot. Um, and I'm, I'm a sucker for cyborgs too. I've always thought it'd be cool to have mechanical arms that can punch through walls. So it's really fun to kind of act out that fantasy <laughs> of the characters. So I would stick with, I would do cyberpunk, but again, I, it would be a painful, painful choice. Yes. Well, the good news is you don't have to make yeah. that choice. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least as far as I know, maybe by the end of this, that'll be the big reveal. Who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> is there a genre yet that you have not narrated that you'd like to? Ooh. Um, I would say I haven't done a lot of mysteries or thrillers. I haven't done a lot of urban fantasy, both of which I would love. Although I did just land my first urban fantasy job, which I'm going to be doing in fall. So that's going to come true soon. Nice. And as a math geek in the nonfiction, I haven't done any science books yet. And that makes me sad. So (laughs) I haven't been able to indulge the absolute nerdiest part of my, my brain 
with my narration career yet, and I would like to. Math geek, huh? Love oh, math. Oh, very much. I have allergies in mathematics because my mom said the word hate is too strong, and I have to deal <laughs> with it on a daily basis in one aspect or another. So she's sure. like, it's like having an allergy, and I'm like, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I could go on about about where such math allergies could come from for hours at a time. So just just be careful if you choose to broach that topic. Got it. No, no worries. Yep. <laughs> it's okay. I, 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 I think I can figure out a way to change it to start talking about a, a video game of some sort. Oh, perfect. Or, yes. Or like, <laughs> hey, what about this urban fantasy you've been wa- wanting to do? What, what is it about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say that you love most about narrating audiobooks? Uh, I would say I really relish the challenge of learning new accents because that's just something i've always found really fun to do um i i think the best part of my job is when the author gets back to me and they like it i've not had it happen yet where the author is like good god man what was this um so so far really just hearing back from what the author thinks and having them having I like rewarding an artist's trust in me to interpret their work because it really is. It really is really kind of nice and heartfelt when they come back and say, you know, you've done justice to my words, because I know that these stories mean a lot to the people that write them, whether or not they're, you know, a super, super well-known author or an indie author just starting out or kind of an author with a cult following They're it really is something that they put a piece of their heart into. And it's really, really nice to kind of be trusted with that, which is an aspect I've really come to appreciate lately. That's good. I love that you do that. You also have a a twofold because the listeners. Yes. We're we're invested. And, you know, some of us can't wait for the audiobooks. So we'll read the book and then we're like, okay, now wait until it's this budget. (laughs) And then it's one of those we're going, okay. Or we're going, we want more. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, hopefully I've landed listeners in the latter category more often than not. But uh, yeah, I think you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With any kind of book that we, we read, there's always different scenes in it, whether it's a happy, a sad, um, yes. an action, things like that. Is there a f- type of scene that you love to narrate? Anything where I get to be an unhinged villain is a lot of fun. Um, there was a character in Quest of the Dreamwalker. His name was Sidonius, and he was an evil wizard obsessed with his immortality. And whenever he was just tromping around being villainous, I gave him like this creepy... I was kind of going for a Patrick Stewart impression, and I wasn't nailing it completely, which was a good thing because oftentimes bad impressions are really useful for making original voices. Um... So I got to walk around doing this bad Patrick Stewart impression and going, gentlemen, my name is Sidonius and this is my keep. If you try to escape, you will die. So I love stuff like that. Um, I've really developed an appreciation for scenes where characters kind of have a heart to heart. That was really hard for me for a while until I went to a proper acting school and I was able to kind of understand how to tap into those parts. Uh, because I feel like in those scenes, you really get to understand stuff about the characters that you otherwise wouldn't, where they finally, where they're kind of resolving differences, or maybe they're realizing that their differences are irreconcilable. Uh, but I really love scenes that allow you to really deeply get to know a character as well. 
But I also just love screwing around as an evil genius, too. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a type of scene that's especially difficult to you for you to narrate? Um, oh, that's a good question. I would say that those same emotional scenes can be hard. You might need a minute, especially if you're dealing with somebody just having a complete breakdown after someone's lost someone really close to them. Or if a character that I really like dies, <sighs> I've often, I often will take a minute and just be like, Oh, okay. I need, I need a sec. I liked them. That was hard. Um, so from an emotional standpoint, those can be there from just a technical standpoint. I would say a scene where I have to give, a really long, complicated monologue, but in an accent. I can do it, but it's sometimes, especially when the character's getting really, really expressive, it's sometimes really easy for me to slip into my more natural speaking voice without realizing it. So those, from a technical standpoint, are probably the hardest. But from an emotional standpoint, it's it's what you would think. It's the scenes where characters experience some kind of... Uh, some kind of traumatic loss or have to make some kind of really damning confession or something along those lines. Got it. Yeah. So not to put you on the spot or anything. No, no. But when it comes down to romance, there are specific kinds of scenes that get nice hot and steamy. Uh, <laughs> as a listener, we're going, holy hell. Yeah. <laughs> are you... Now that you've been narrating this now for, you know, technically forward now, officially to kind of thing, are you mm -hmm. still affected as far as, you know, do you, uh, you know, it's read, you like, this is silly or it's the point where you're just a complete other professional and you just read through it and you're like, fine. I like to think that I'm in the latter category because the philosophy that I try to adopt is whatever story I'm reading has to be the most important story in the world to me because it needs to come. If, if I don't, if I'm not thinking that, then it's going to come across in the performance that I didn't care what I was doing, which obviously is bad for everybody involved. Um, most of all the author and the listeners, but me too, because uh, it, it would reflect badly. But I, weirdly enough, the first really steamy book I ever did, I didn't realize just how steamy it was until I really started narrating it. And the author uh, was happy with the job I did, but she said, man, you jumped into a fire with that being your first book uh ever in the romance genre and what was funny was from there and the crazy thing too is i was live streaming that on discord people were oh, watching me act that out and um i <laughs> afterwards basically everything else was easy because i was like oh yeah this is i've compared to what i've done in the past this is nothing this is fine <laughs> it's yeah <laughs> it's fine mm-hmm that's something that you do do you do discord a lot mm -hmm. how did that come about because i know a lot of it's discord is usually for gamers yeah so it generally is just it's the interface is a little clunky but it's generally uh -huh. just a really useful app for having group conversations um especially it's especially interesting because it almost can function like a convention center which something like zoom couldn't um it's just got it just has that sort of functionality um, built into it. I was not involved in the starting of the particular discord servers um, like the Nook and the Haven, the Nook being for your fantasy your sci fi, the, the Haven being for anything of the steamy variety, um, mostly any any romance, really, but especially mm -hmm. of the, the steamier varieties. 
I know that they were founded by a couple of pretty well-known narrators uh, in the industry. I think Kyle Tate was one of them who I got, I had the pleasure of kind of getting to know, but the way I found out about it was Sean Pratt's first assignment for me was find an accountability partner. And that's how I got to know Stephanie Namath Parker, who is brilliant. Uh, I, she, she is able to do the accents even more effortlessly than I can do them. Uh, I've, I've watched her do it and it's, it's crazy. That's, that's like a, a goal to get to that level for me. And she told me about it and I had no idea what it really was. And I sat around, I watched a few narrators record. And then finally, after a while, I worked up the nerve to do it myself and had a ton of fun with it. I think the first book I ever did was above, I want to say it was above the storm by JMD Reed. But yeah, it just, some narrators decided let's let's get to interact with our audiences let's get to know each other and it kind of just blossomed into what it is now which is just a really good way for narrators listeners authors and readers to just kind of connect it's really really fun really it's kind of been a game changer because it's much much easier to stay in this hot sweaty booth for hours at a time when i'm in when i'm accountable to an audience watching me <laughs> well that's it i would think that that would be nerve-wracking I I'm a trained public speaker, so it didn't hit me perhaps as hard as it might have, because I've been doing some form of public speaking probably since middle school. So I'm used to the idea of people watching me perform in some way or another. Uh, but I certainly remember what it was like to work up the nerve to do that in the first place. But by the time I got to Discord, I had kind of worked through that side of me. I don't know how I managed to compartmentalize enough to narrate that first romance book I ever did without, without feeling really self-conscious about it, but it happened. I'm not going to question how. No, it just did. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm, I'm trying to still get my, my hands wrapped around Discord because it's the interface that you're saying is really wonky and it kind of looks yeah. like DOS from 1995. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> and you're going, where do I click to go where? And why am I, you're talking to me, but I can't see you. So it's it's very, I'm still getting, I'm, I consider myself very tech savvy. Yeah. And that one's still getting to me. And I'm going, I will learn you. I will master you, damn it. Um, oh yeah. I had, I had it. a lot of, I had to ask a lot of questions when yeah. I first got in there. But yeah. if you ever see me on there, I will happily help. Thanks. I'll just do that. Be like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Because you've been writing, um, talking, you know, public speaking for a while, and you've mm -hmm. been doing this too, do you have bloopers that happen then, and do you record them? <laughs> um, so on, I do have several amusing outtakes that occur during sessions, um, but unfortunately, the way that I record, I use something called the punch and roll technique. Yeah, yeah, it's where you edit <laughs> stuff out as you go. So the thing is, the way Reaper works, if I wanted to, I could go back to the raw recording and retrieve those bloopers because it's what's called a non-destructive editor. So you can actually go back and recover stuff that was deleted, provided nice. you don't delete. Yeah. So I could do that. It would just require me remembering where every error happened. <laughs> um, but I do have some amusing outtakes. My personal favorite to this day was the time that I didn't know what a brazier was. So when I was recording Quest of the Dreamwalker and we were talking about Sidonius's sinister lair where he sucks the life out of his prisoners, I was talking about how there were flaming braziers on the wall for a little while. And then I realized what I was saying. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I don't think that I 
when I, I started listening to what I was saying and I was like that, I don't think that's right. I should probably look this up. And mm-hmm. that, by the way, if uh, any narrators that are listening happen to be in the aspiring category is why you never, ever, ever guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Always ask. Always. <laughs> Google first, ask as well. <laughs> Youglish.com is your friend. Mm-hmm. I see that too. I yeah. say Google is your friend. Use it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that the, the punch and roll is the best way to do it for for you, for you guys and also the editors and stuff like that. But man, it's just a killer for those bloopers. It, it is. It is. I think... <laughs> I, I may have to, if I have particularly amusing ones, just mark the recording before I punch back in. Yes. That would probably be an easy way to recover them. Yes. Let's do a quick yeah. voice note on your phone saying, hey, go yeah, back to this place. Right here. Just remember. Yeah. <laughs> Viv's going to get a kick out of this one. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. I would. It would be even better if I had them on video and I could I could show my reaction to them because oh. then they would be the most amusing. But even even auditory recordings would be good. Oh, yeah, no, the ones that we've heard and you guys are hilarious because you're rechecking yourself and you're trying to get it. Or if you like if you're stuck in a word and you can't yep. get past it, it's just like so much humanizes you. But at the same time, we're going, but you sound so good afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> it always cracks me up. Some people will listen to it in their car like it's an actual audiobook. And I'm like, mm-hmm. can you imagine the reviews I would get? Like they come there to hear this, but the reviews I would get into a final product if I was just sitting there going, damn it, damn it. <laughs> damn it every every because i had one it took me 10 tries to say the phrase because it was just such a tongue twister and it was it was something like it was it had like a lot of sh sounds and s like it was just a lot of sounds that individually aren't hard to articulate but in succession having to switch from one to the other it's just a it, it was a mouth workout and the best part was it was a duet narration so my co-narrator just got to laugh at me for five minutes Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Those are fun. I am trying to not say that duet's my favorite narrating style now as far as listening to it, but it's it's, it's just almost like watching an entire play in front of you. Yeah, it, it is. Do you have a preference when it comes down to solo, duel, or duet? I like duel a lot because I get to know new narrators that way. Um, I like solo because it allows me a little freer interpretation of the characters. I've only ever done one duet, so I don't really feel I have an informed opinion on it. But from a technical perspective, it's super interesting. It's uh, it's much more challenging to get right because you have to make sure your audio is synced up. You have to make sure that there's just there you get the timing exactly right so that when you and you have to also make sure that you're rolling the entire time because otherwise you have to sync up every five or six seconds you know, when you're making uh, all those different errors. And so it really is, it's rewarding in that if you get it right from a technical perspective, you feel like kind of a badass, but it's by far the hardest one to do. Especially when it comes down to not being in person. Yes. A lot of uh, narrators that I've talked to have said that they prefer, while they love it, it's great when they do it in the in the studio. Yes. Because they just show up. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot. It's a lot, you know, but worth it. I know a lot of authors are starting to look into that one a little bit more. Yes. But I think it's also good because sometimes you guys have the, especially the ones like you have that deeper range in your voice. And when it comes down to doing the female voice, you you do a good job of of not making it sound Valley Girl. 
good. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was by far one of the biggest challenges and one of the most intimidating obstacles when I first started doing this because obviously sounding like I do um I do, it, it, it's a very real possibility that I could accidentally make it sound like a caricature which if that's the intent of the character great but you know 90% of the time it's not mm-hmm. and accents were my weapon against that for a long time it's like all right all the women are british doesn't say <laughs> they aren't so there they go um that's what would happen a lot early on um that's what happened with quest of the dreamwalker it just happened to work because it there's something about doing a received pronunciation like this for a very shy character that just sort of works because if you bring it down a bit then she sounds very timid which this particular character was for reasons that i won't spoil but they're actually really interesting um yeah i think (laughs) duet narration is valuable in that regard but i also kind of really enjoy the challenge of convincingly voicing uh, characters that have more female presenting voices than minus. <laughs> well, that's the good news that we get a mixture of all these types of narration. And yeah. I don't think that's going, even when one gets a little bit more popular or trendy, they're always all going to be available and, and around. Certainly. And I mean, there's also the the fact that it really just depends on the the perspectives the story is told from. Yes. Because if it's all third person close or first person from one character's perspective who has a voice that sounds like mine, then guess who's stuck doing all the female voices most likely. Mm-hmm. Stuck is the wrong word because like I said, I actually really like it, but it tends to necessitate that because it's less it's less practical to bring on another narrator to say just a few lines as opposed to if you've got a dual perspective going on or something where a character that it might call for another narrator has a ton of lines, then that especially can be really cool. Because then you get, like you said, it's like a radio play. Those are fun. Yes. Uh, I, I also kind of like it when the consistency is there. And I know that sometimes it happens. Narrator one does not talk to narrator two. <laughs> and that, the yeah, so then you get, you get two different interpretations of the yes. same scene. Neither of which is necessarily bad, but they're disparate, which is jarring. Yeah. Like you could have like one character sees it as a whispery fight and the other sees it as a scream fight. And then you have the contrast of one character is doing this and then the other is yelling back and it's like yeah. this, something's not quite there but even the accent sometimes when it comes down yes. there's some times where a narrator might choose not to give the accent or very slightly and then the other narrator will bust out with like hardcore yeah <laughs> and you're going oh okay <laughs> and this is why you talk to your co-narrators <laughs> even yeah just just a little bit i think the, the biggest challenge really for duets is the editing too Because if you're two different, making two different studios sound like they're they were recorded in the same place is a tech that's technical wizardry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, even with the podcast um, being two different locations, and I get the the files back. Like you get your track, and I get my track. Yeah. And there's that moment where you're select all, and you're trying to cut one thing out because I said um too many times. Yes. And then it just wiggles to the right and then it's not aligned. Then you're going, fuck, I got to go back, 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 back. So from the beginning, re-edit things because that one thing that's not aligned anymore completely messes up the sync for the rest of the conversation. And I'm going, oh my God. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I value and I, uh, you know, totally get the, you know, the editor's perspective. And I always try to, 
when I was working with audiobooks and doing stuff, I always try to get them the best off, you know, files and, and when I'm proofing the same thing, because it's a lot of work. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Is there an author and or narrator that you have yet to work with that you want to? Uh, I just, I mentioned Stephanie Namath Parker. Mm -hmm. uh, I just landed my first job with her. So I'm really excited about that because I've been wanting to work with her forever. Um, an author that I really want to work with. There is uh, actually, there was one um, who just coming up that I just landed a book with. Her name was A.D. Trosper. And she's a friend of Stacey Bennett. Who and she writes wonderful fantasy. And through Stacy, I actually managed to get a project with her as well. So those two, like the two most immediate people that came to mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just got jobs with them. So awesome. um, there's another, there's a cyberpunk author I've been wanting to work with for a long time. Her name's Anna Mosikat. And we almost did, but like right around the time I said, Hey, I want to do your book, she just hired another narrator who is excellent, by the way, that's no knock. That's no knock on the narrator. Like he absolutely was the perfect voice for that story, but mm -hmm. I've been wanting to work with her for a long time. And there's a narrator named Jennifer Blom, whose work I really like, uh, Rachel LeBlanc or LeBlanc. I wish, forgive me, Rachel, if you hear this and I mispronounced <laughs> your last name. Um, cause I've never actually heard it said. Um, mm -hmm. but I've, I've seen some of her, uh, her snippets of her narration. I tried to say snippets and sample at the same time. It came out snample. Um, <laughs> yeah. Got to love those accidental portmanteaus. Um, mm -hmm. But I really like her style. She's got kind of that, that snark quality. And I've got kind of a natural smart ass quality myself. So I feel like the right genre, we could have a really funny um, sort of interplay. Uh, like I said, Stephanie's just an amazing actor. So the even just getting lumped into the same book with her would probably mean that it's like, oh, somebody thinks that I can act up to her level. Okay, cool. And then Jennifer's got that same quality, just a really nice, cool sounding voice. Um, a hell of a singing voice too. So if we ended up in a fantasy novel with some singing, that would be awesome. So those are the ones that come immediately to mind. Cool. And I'm sure this list is ever evolving as more time. Oh, always. Yeah. Um, Brandon Sanderson would be one too. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned singing. Does that mean that you sing too? Uh, I'm not trained, but I have had to sing four books. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, ha I have had to do that. And what's interesting, too, is I often get to decide what the melody sounds like. Mm -hmm. Unless I'm specifically told by the author, it's a free choice for me. Um, yeah, I think of uh, the Storm Below series had a few songs that I had to sing. Uh, a book called Samus Truth, which is for a series called Beneath the Willow that I'm working on, has um, they had an entire race that only communicated in song. Oh, wow. So that was, that was interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I have had to do it a few times. I want to get dedicated singing training, but so far nobody has said, oh God, the singing. So, <laughs> so far, so good. So far, so good. <laughs> okay. Up and up, up and, <laughs> um, yeah, I ideally would like to get vocal lessons before that first review. <laughs> Well, I know that in, in romance, there's been a few authors that have added some music as far as, you know, the, the hero being a band or something like that. And they'll, they'll sing a yeah. little bit of it. So it's good old fashioned serenade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or being or they're recording or they're practicing and they get caught by the girl. Yes. <laughs> and she wonders if the song is about her. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, thankfully, sometimes you can get away with not singing it because you can't sing like copyrighted melodies. Correct. But if it's public domain or if it's made up, guess what you're doing? <laughs> ah, it can always be fun. You never oh, know. yeah. No, I enjoy do. I enjoy <laughs> the challenge. But I will say I've gotten used to hearing my own voice, hearing my own singing voice. I still can't do. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's still that still weirds me out. Yeah. So, you know, we're our toughest critics ourselves. Yes. So very important question. Ready? Yes. When you're not working, what do you do for fun? Well, uh, probably will not come as a shock given my genre preferences, but I do game a fair bit. Um, I would say I, um, especially the cyberpunk game genre is a big, big draw for me. Uh, I am an amateur card magician as well. I do uh, card tricks in my spare time. It's a good way to break the ice at parties. I'm a jogger. Uh, just because you need some way to get out of the booth. Um, I actually will do math for fun. I tutor math on the side for fun. And I also have stacks of like old math contests that my community college has held. And I like to work those for fun. And it actually helps me relax. Okay. Yeah. Where were you (laughs) when I was in that? Ah, the quadratic equation. Ah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, the funny thing is, I for years, because a lot for a long time, I actually hated math until I had the right teacher, mm-hmm. and now I actually understand where that comes from. I had no idea who figured that out or how for the longest time. Same. But yeah. No. Now cool. it's like, oh wait, there's a rationale behind that. Somebody didn't just divine that out of nowhere because it felt like it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did do really, I did a lot better in geometry. And I think it was because I could see the angles. Yes. And so that also helped me with my pole playing. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you can see the, like, as you, as you adjust the angle of your cue, mm-hmm. you can kind of see the angle it's going to go at. Yeah. So it's like, just pretend like you're playing pool in billiards, you know? Yes. Unless, of course, you know, you strike the cue weird and miss the cue ball completely. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> no. no obviously no, that would be silly know. yes that's totally silly um but you also have something new that's going on with you as far as a youtube channel yes what's going on with that so that was something i started uh, a while back um it's it's a little more on hold than i'd like but i'm planning on picking it back up in august september so there's a couple of things that i do with it um one is called Saturday Short Fiction. I'm trying, I might rework the titles because the more I'm like, why am I obsessed with alliterations? Um, but I do, on Saturdays, I like to record short fiction from authors. So they have complete works of short stories they want to share with people. And I will make a video recording of myself doing that. And the reason is twofold. One, it's an amazing way to meet new authors. Uh, two, it is able, I can showcase what I'm capable of doing. And it kind of is nice because there are certain people that, they just want a short story in the morning. Like they're when they're having breakfast, they want a complete self-contained narrative. And it also kind of allows people to see what I'm like behind the microphone as opposed to just hearing me. I found um, as I was learning the craft of voice acting that it was really fun to watch voice actors work. Uh, like watching Robin Williams act out the genie, seeing the physicality he put into that, even though knowing that was never going to be seen, you can hear it in his performance. And I really think it's it's cool for people to get a glimpse into that. So I do that. And I also will do something called right now. It's called Story Sample Sunday, but I'm not sure if I'm going to change the title again. But 
what that is, is there are authors that have uh, usually authors that have never done audiobooks will come to me and they'll ask me to read a chapter from their story. And the reason that they um, do that is it's a way for them to kind of dip their feet in the audio world. Cause I don't, I don't charge for it. It's largely, I view this as kind of a, a publicity thing. And also kind of, like I said, a way to meet people and it's not a huge amount of work on my end, but it's fairly time consuming to edit the videos because Adobe Premiere doesn't like to cooperate with me. But <laughs> I, yeah, it really doesn't. It'll just be like, okay, your whole computer is frozen now. You were just about to export this. It, it, I don't know why that software hates me the way it does, but it does. Um, but it's a really nice way to get to know new authors and to um, kind of allow them to see what producing an audiobook is like. Because I do go through kind of a miniaturized part of the process where I'll, I'll talk them through a little bit of the chapter prep and kind of show them what happens. And then on top of that, uh, I found that I am fairly animated when I record. So it's fun to, for people to kind of watch me move around and gesticulate wildly and move you know, forward and away from the mic to take advantage of how that affects my sound quality. It's just a good time. Cool. So yeah. I'll, make sure, I'll make sure to include the link in our post and then keep an eye on that. Yeah, and I'm... then I'm also gonna be doing um, in the near future, cause I have, a, I have an exciting career milestone on the way, which is I ordered a Studio Bricks booth, which is- <gasps> Awesome. Yeah, oh my God, I'm so excited. But that's a totally soundproof space. Uh-huh. So when I get that, I want to start um, adding streaming content like games and stuff, but specifically games that allow me to voice act over them because I thought that would be a fun way to do it. And who knows? Maybe I'll, I don't know how I'm going to work audience interaction into it, but basically the whole channel is meant to be a voice acting showcase in various forms. And right now it just has narration because that's my niche, but I really want to include other forms of voiceovers as well as maybe even bring other voice actors or narrators on if they're so inclined. Um, so it's, it's an idea I've had for a long time. I'm glad I have it out. Um, and now I just am working to fill it up with interesting, cool stuff. That's awesome. I'm, ex- Thank I'm you. looking forward to seeing all that. Yeah. yeah. And when you have your studio up, that'll be fun. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. There will, I haven't posted on Instagram in a while, but you can bet that's going up when it comes. Oh yeah. No, we want to see like when it gets there, cause there's always fun. I'm like, will it fit in the door? Oh, oh. <laughs> cause the, the place I'm moving into, um, is, is not big. It has mm-hmm. a room that's going to be very like more than adequate for the space. But the, the saga of me trying to maneuver the panels to get it there, that yeah. will probably be a source of amusement for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do that narration. <laughs> yes. You video record yourself and then go back and say, bloody hell, this shit's yes. not working. <laughs> and then once you have it, you know, set up, you know, getting it in there. Um, I know that a lot of the times the authors will try to figure out where to, you know, things that you can add to it that will not make noise, but also be able to hold the phone so you can record a video to them yes. post on social media, all that fun stuff. So. Well, I have uh, I have camera equipment, actually, because mm-hmm. I really wanted to make the YouTube channel right. So I've got stuff like tripods and things like that. But as far as where I'm going to fit them in the booth, that's going uh-huh. to be an interesting logistical question, too. Yeah, I look forward to that. Me too. <laughs> I can imagine seeing you there going with a pen and paper, kind of figuring out at what angle would this... I... <laughs> no, it's, you, you're not wrong. No, <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fun. I can't wait. Me neither. 
Okay, cool. If you could have any animal as a pet, any kind, so it doesn't have to be domestic kind of animal, what yeah. would it be? Uh, I don't know if this is the most exciting answer in the world, but there's one I've been wanting for a long time. Um, it's uh, a corn snake. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, just a little, because part of it is because I want I specifically want a girl corn snake because I have a punny name picked out for her. Okay. And also because I've just watched videos of them and they're just like, they're the sweetest little animals. They're very like curious and inquisitive and they, they tend to have just such a nice little temperament and it's kind of, kind of different. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of fun to have people that are normally reptile shy, hold the snake and realize, Hey, these aren't so bad. Um, I'm all, I've always been a reptile geek and I, I haven't ever had one as a pet, but that would be, that's the one I'm most excited about getting. Um, I'm going to name her Maisie because corn snake, obviously. <laughs> and then plus my girlfriend sent me a couple days ago, a picture of a corn snake with a little top hat on it. Now I'm like, Aww. well, now I know what costume to get it. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a, an Etsy store out there. With oh yeah. Of, All sorts know. of snake attire. Yeah. <laughs> All gowns. <laughs> yes. We can see about having one that has ear, you know, like a headphones and a mic. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> have a little mini studio bricks in her in oh her my terrarium, so she can hide away. That's her cave. Yes, right. That would be perfect for you. I love this. <laughs> the narrator snake. Yes, I'm such an enabler. <laughs> <laughs> You're just an idea person. Yes, you can't help oh, good ideas come out. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And I love supporting. You know, it's what it is. Just supporting your, you know, your what you want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I have a, I have an initial vague vision. You just built on it in a pretty good way. <laughs> cool. <laughs> if you need anything else, let me know. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. I'll, I'll, I might hit you up and go like this. This uh, this a convincing voiceover pet snake for <laughs> set up for you. Love it. Um, so we know we have different kind of characters out there in the world and things. But mm -hmm. which Disney hero would you like to voice? Oh, would I? Which Disney hero would I yeah. like to voice? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I would say I could be a Aladdin was my favorite movie growing up. I think I could I could pull off maybe a slightly older version of him now. I used to have a, a higher voice that I could do that, but I would love to do something in that universe. Uh, the genie would be amazing. I don't know if I could ever match. I would I would have to take several years of. Uh, improv classes before I could ever hope to match Robin Williams. <laughs> but uh, I would love to voice, if not the genie himself, a character like that. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. Who else? Well, I mean, Marvel's Disney now. Yes. So Iron Man, for sure. I would love <laughs> to be Iron Man. Um, yeah, he's my favorite out of all of the heroes by far. Iron Man is my favorite one. So I would say him. Yep, I can see that with the sign. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I've got the snark. I just need to have the. I just need to develop the swagger. Yeah, and then the money. <laughs> that, too. that would be that would be nice. Yeah, I'm no, I'm method acting as a billionaire. I be, I have all this money because I want to know what it's like to be Tony. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what song do you have to sing along with when you hear it, regardless of where it is? Oh man. Um, okay. Probably there's always smells like teen spirit. Cause I'm a big nineties grunge fan. Mm -hmm. So anything like that, uh, black hole sun 
is another <laughs> one. Um, I do love Man in the Box by Alice in Chains. That might be my favorite song. It's weird how like dark the songs are that I like to <laughs> sing along to. It's quite funny. Um, yeah. I would say <laughs> there's a, it's a more upbeat song, but if you listen to it, the lyrics are fairly dark. Um, but it's by one of my favorite bands. Uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is the name of the band. Uh, and the song's called Plastic Boogie. I love that one. Yeah, those would be. I also actually um, more well known. I love uh, the song "The One I Love" by REM. I always have to sing along to that, even when I'm outside running in public. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't care. People are looking at me when I do this, but it's it's a classic. I have to sing along to that song. It's always fun now when you're at the grocery store and they're listening to the classic chant. You know, the classical music station, and Teen Spirit comes out. Oh yeah, of course. And you're going, fuck you. It's not oh, classical God. music. All right. Uh, I guess I'm going to have to make a scene now. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> going down number five. <laughs> What's your favorite word? Tomfoolery. Nice. Yes. So what's your favorite curse word? Um, I would say... Oh man, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, probably just God damn it, good old fashioned God damn it, because there's just like there's enough. There's some syllables to chew on there, and on top of that, it reminds me there was a there was a cartoon a friend of mine and I were writing a while back, and that was the it was a, a sitcom about a Bond villain and his butler, and that was his signature curse. Every time he would yell at his butler, he'd be like, "God damn it, Jeeves." So it just kind of reminds me, it brings back memories. So you write too? Uh, I do. Wow. So I was that, like, what don't you do? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, pu- well, actually I am publishing my first short story anthology as an audio exclusive. Nice. Uh, but that's the first thing I've ever published. That's fantastic. Can you Thank tell you. us more about that or not yet? <laughs> uh, no, I can. I'm happy. It's, it's my stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I, I'm you, I'm writing it under an author pseudonym, I guess, just for branding purposes. So if mm-hmm. you see anything written, if you see the name Mitchell Dorian pop up as an author or narrator, it's me. And the pseudonym comes from my grandparents, my maternal grandparents' names, Mike and Doris. I just kind of tweaked them a bit. Um, but it is science fiction. And I showed it to uh, I showed it to uh, Jess um, at Audiobook Empire because I was like, hey, would you be willing to produce this for me? And um, she pointed out that every single short story seems to have the united, the unifying theme of the inevitability of death. So, you know, if you need a nice, uplifting morning listen, you can go to uh, to my thing. And I'm a math geek, so I called it the final constant, which sounds mathy. And mm-hmm. there's three short stories, all of which I wrote at a class I took at a community college, actually. So that was those were the that was the first time anybody actually got me to successfully finish a story. And I liked all three of them enough that um, I thought that I could narrate them and maybe put them out into the world and see what happens. Uh, just, you know, don't listen to them unless you're, you fancy a little existential dread that day. <laughs> no, that's, um, that's exciting news. Thank you. Yeah. 
So I'm going to look, uh, talk to Jess and say, hey, when's that going to be coming out? I'm getting the cover designed right now, which is a first for me. I've never had, <gasps> I've never hired a professional cover designer. Yeah, I don't plan on releasing it until August, so I don't anticipate I'll see the cover for a little while. But I, I'm like, that's exciting. I've never had to do this before. Well, from a marketing perspective, and I'm not going to get too busy on here right now, but you do want to have the cover in advance so you can start doing some of that promo. Everybody judges a book by its cover. Yes, yes, we do. It's it's very much. And, you know, in a way, that's actually wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way that I see it is if you're spending what efforts are you putting behind that cover exactly to make it good i'm anticipating it to be that way when it comes on to your writing exactly half-assing that cover i'm gonna think you're gonna half-ass that writing exactly <laughs> and it's a shame because a lot of authors even though the covers aren't great they do have good writing oh my and goodness it's just, you yeah. don't get that you don't get the chance to experience it because you see you first impressions matter <laughs> Yeah, that's, they do. And I know there's some yeah. of the, the, the finances sometimes. That's why I always yeah. say save the money to get that cover artist that you yes. want that's going to do that. It's it's worth it. Just stay, hold on to it until don't have it. It is absolutely it. worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, so your, your work deserves to be seen. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get it seen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's been times where I've I've loved the author and we've become friends kind of a thing. And it's a great story, but I'm not putting that cover on my blog because it's not pretty. <laughs> it's not pretty. Like, I'm supposed to put this on my social. <laughs> yeah, I know how you feel. Yeah, it's worth the holding off on until you have the money to hire someone that you know is going to do a good job. So, so you were saying August? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's all it's all recorded, but I didn't anticipate having it done. And then I just kind of got excited one day and just burned through it because <laughs> I wasn't anticipating recording it until August. So obviously, I'm not going to go back and bug the cover designer and say, hey, hey, change your schedule, change your schedule. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'll just I'll wait and see. I'm, I'm super excited because based on what I've seen of her portfolio, mm-hmm. um, she, this, she was like the perfect choice for this. So fantastic. Can't yeah. wait. Me neither. To share that when that comes out. Oh yeah, I'll send it right to you. Awesome! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so we've reached a really fun section of our conversation where okay. it's, it's a game time. All and right. I love playing Two Truths and a Lie, where okay. you, the guest, tells me three things, and I have to figure out which one is the lie. And okay. you guys get this stuff in advance, so now you are all getting very creative. And yes. <laughs> Oh, I spent I spent a couple days thinking. I ran a few stories by some people. I was like, oh my does God. This sound this sound good? Sound like <laughs> something I'd do? <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever you're ready, let me know what those three things are and then we'll go from there. Okay. Number one, I am right-handed because of an injury I sustained while imitating a video game character. Number two, immediately after winning employee of the month, I destroyed the entire T-shelf at work. And number three, I met my girlfriend during a, co- a go-kart crash at Mulligan's. So right-handed because of an accident, employee of the month and t- until you messed up that entire shelf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and met the girl on a crash of go-karts. <laughs> yes. All of which are fucking very impossible. Damn it. Thank um, you. <laughs> you can interrogate me about the stories. I've got details ready. Well, oh my, I bet you do. <laughs> I bet you do. Let's see. I think the lie. Shoot. The right hand in. Okay. What do you want to know about it? No, I think that's the lie. Oh. No, that's true. 
That you're kidding, really? Yep. Yeah. How old are you so, when all this happened? <laughs> I was four and a half. I had just gotten a Game Boy and I was playing Super Mario Brothers, and I had decided that the bar stools looked like the platforms that Mario jumps on. Oh God. And so I was doing pretty good, actually. I made it across and my mom was on the phone with somebody and she didn't see because she was facing the other way. I jumped back. I hit the last bar stool. It falls over and my left arm paid the price. Um, so I had to, because I was in a cast for so long, I had to learn how to write with my right hand to keep up in school. And then I just never switched back. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> So it's funny tidbit. I was also born left-handed, but I have an identical twin sister who's my married twin. Oh. And when we started in, in kindergarten, instead of them sitting in front of each other, so we mirror each other, they sat her yeah. next to me. So I married her. Oh. And now I predominantly write with my rights. I do a lot of ambidextrous stuff, but writing is still usually better handwriting at my right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Cause you you had the handedness like. In my case, my left hand, because of how badly injured it was, you would never know that I would I was my dominant hand at some point. Huh. But it's interesting. It's interesting how that happens mm -hmm. um, when you're when you switch handedness by kind of almost by mistake, how you retain some reliance on the original dominant hand. Yeah. No, it's also to have, have you know, quickly our brain can pick yes. up a new like, OK, well, fine, we'll do it with the other hand. Yep. <laughs> Jumping on bars. Oh, my goodness. I was not a smart child. The funny thing was that wasn't the first time I'd done that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was the <laughs> second time I'd broken my left arm. It's just that was the one that did it in. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Your parents must have had fun. <laughs> uh, you know, common, common sense came later for me. <laughs> well, when you're at that age, you're like, I can do anything just like the video game says. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we now have employee of the month and go carts as yep. the two. Oh goodness. Employee of the month is the lie. That one is also true. I, I should have gone with the go carts for the girlfriend. <laughs> should have gone with it. Ah. <laughs> so you get awarded employee of the month. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Literally, my manager walks up to me. So it was it, it was actually Starbucks um, that I was working at and they do what's called partner of the quarter. So mm -hmm. I guess technically it's employee of the three months, um, but it's the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so he gives it he gives this. Um, <laughs> he gives this award to me. He goes, hey, thank you very much for all your hard work. You did great. And I was like, oh, man, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, and at the time I was mopping the floor. I put the mop in in such a way that the mop stick catches the shelf that we keep all the tea pitchers on to make, you know, those iced tea shakers that we yes. make. Uh -huh. Yeah. Catches it, pulls the whole thing down, like 10 pitchers of tea just spill over and ruin the entire floor. Literally, it was less than 60 seconds after he handed me the certificate. It probably was about 15 seconds later. And then he just looks over at me and I look back at him. And there's Thanks. just this look of like, I'm really trying not to regret my choice right now. <laughs> he didn't rescind the award to his Good. credit, but I was just like, just to remind you why that might have been a mistake. There you go. Well, three months of doing such a good job that you would bet be awarded that minus the one. The catharsis thing. was, all right, I get this one. One, I get this one. Yeah. yeah. The timing was just like epic, though. <laughs> oh, it was perfect. It was, and, and you know, it's far too many people saw it happen. 
and they were all looking at me the same way. <laughs> Goodness. So you did not meet the girl. Um, I mean, I met my girlfriend in a funny way, just not that way. Okay. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I met her when she mentioned on her dating profile that she liked cheesy puns. So I sent her a pun about cheese and we ended up having a pun war for a month. And then I invited her uh, to coffee. Nice. Yes. And then she won the pun war that day with a mic drop moment where she handed me a piece of citrus fruit with her phone number on it, called it a pickup lime, and then ended the date. I was like, okay, you win. <laughs> you win. That was the mic drop. Nice. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> So Zachary, before we go, mm-hmm. want to tell us a little bit what you're currently working on, if you can, and what's coming up next for you? Sure. So um, it's got a long list of stuff that's coming out that that'll be uh, pretty cool. So right now, uh, I'm finishing up "Corroded Cells" by Matthew Goodwin, and that is a cyberpunk piece. Uh, I just finished uh, "Heavy Petting," which is a romance piece, uh, male-female romance in the South. It's that rom-com I mentioned earlier, so that should be coming out soon. Um, it's just got the publisher just started to blast it on Instagram. Uh, I'm working on Call of the Huntress, which is the sequel to Quest of the Dreamwalker. Um, Stacy again is an amazing writer, so that is uh, that's the book with the evil wizard in it. Uh, I'm working on Embers at Galdraline, which is a series about dragons and the people that bond with them, and that's by A.D. Trosper, which is great. I got my first mystery thriller called The Ship by Doug Brody. I got an urban fantasy romance called Fluke and the Faithless Father, which I'm super excited about. That's by Sam Burns. Of course, my um, my short story anthology, Final Constant. And mm-hmm. then finally, another fantasy novel called Death's Disciples by Dustin Harriman. So I've got, uh, I've got a few things coming up uh, over the next couple of months, and uh, all of which I'm super happy about. Yeah, but no, no math that sounds great. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> But now I know that if anybody ever comes to me and says, hey, I want to get my math book in audio, I'm like, I know yes. the guy for you. I know. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. <laughs> but no, it's it's a cool list because I've gotten so many um, genres that I've wanted to work in. Mm-hmm. And so now it's just a matter of when uh, my schedule clears out, like when I get to them in my queue, I get to say that those are my first. Nice. So, yeah. It's always good to have one of those. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just actually there's another one called Time Heals All Wounds. And I got to I'm working again with the first author that ever hired me. A guy named Josh Hilden. That's cool when you get to work with yeah. that one again. Yeah. Yeah. He's a super cool dude. Awesome. Well, thank you for that list. Of course. Adding that to our never ending to be listened list of books. Oh, yeah. No, there, there's more. But I was like, OK, I should probably stop. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes you guys also don't know when and what you can share based on what's going on too. It's you know whether yeah. the author's giving it out or publishing houses, all that fun jazz. Oh yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, no, that's great. It's uh, and you know we'll follow you and you you do a great job of posting on social media and telling us what you're working on. So, which thank you for well, that, by you. the way. Always nice when you guys do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be involved, but thank you so much, Zachary, for taking the time to hang out with me today. It's been fun. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you're not following Zachary on social media, you should. He's fun. <laughs> uh, and he, you know, he'll he let you know next time he does Discord so you guys can look, you know, check him out there. So that'll be fun. Yes. 
and then and, keep um, an eye out for those live streams as well if you want to come hang out with me another way yeah no if definitely you're, uh, if you're a gamer geek or you just want to <laughs> see me do goofy voices that's fun too yes we can, we can even do a drinking game okay so some of us will get together with me on that end but anyways um but <laughs> <laughs> so we will be including all the links to wherever we can find you in the post uh for this episode over at vvm enchanters of books and until next time happy listenings thank you very much Thank you wholeheartedly to all of our audiobook love and podcast Patreon. Special thanks to Jen Franklin, Nixley Zenner, Victoria Butler, Carol Liebner, Chrissy Font, Karen Hoffman, Leanne Schwartz, Lynn Black Patterson, Michelle Eddy, Michelle DeCosta, Farah Blair, Bethany Crane, Brittany Robinette Leiter, Don Darsh, Carrie Wallace, Christy Reitz. Michelle Bestard, Sarah McQueen, Valerie Wall, and Nancy Billows. Support the podcast by becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobooklovin. Benefits include early access, shoutouts, special exclusive content, and much more. Thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us on the Audiobook Lovin' Podcast, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. For links and more information discussed in today's episode, previous podcasts, or the Audiobook Lovin' series, please visit our website, vivianaenchantressofbooks.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive review wherever you listen to our podcast. Until next time, happy listening.